Welcome to episode two of the Inclusion Initiative, a Jedi AAEM podcast, a production of the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Each month, this podcast will feature established leaders as well as a diverse group of members in the specialty of emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Kimberly Brown, current AAEM at-large board member, speaks with AAEM president-elect, Dr. Robert Frolikstein. Bob Frolikstein, you are the upcoming president of the Academy. You are the president-in-waiting, I guess I'll call it for the time being. Um... Tell me a little bit about you, like where you're from, how you grew up, where you grew up. Just tell us a little bit about you. Um, sure. I kind of have a canned introduction. I'll, let me start with that. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, so I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and I went to a, a college just on the other side of the river from St. Louis called SIU Edwardsville, and I went there on a baseball scholarship. And I went to study, I, originally I was going to study wildlife biology because the three things that were important to me at that time in my life were baseball, fishing, and hunting. And uh, things don't always work out that good. Turns out I couldn't hit a curveball very well. And uh, 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 But, you know, life has a way of working out well. The Probably the three most important things um, that came in my foundational things for my life really came out of those four years. And that is one, uh, acceptance into medical school, two, a relationship with a woman that would become my wife and mother of four of the best kids in the world, and and a realization that God should be forefront in every decision I make in my life. Hmm. I will tell you at that point in my time, I wasn't very good at that, but that's that's what I, I realized it should be. So uh, and then, so the Army put me through medical school and uh, with their scholarship program, I went to medical school in Missouri, in Columbia, Columbia Missouri. And after medical school, I started my Army training and did my internship at Tripler in Hawaii. That was back when emergency medicines were all PGY234 programs, or pretty much all of them. And so I did transitional internship there, and I finished up my residency training here in San Antonio, Texas. And served some some uh, more time in the army, and uh, got out and found a great job in town, and this has been my home ever since. So, what made you even want to become a physician? Uh, so it's a uh, uh, you know life is life is crazy. I, I um, again I wanted to do wildlife biology, right? Mm-hmm. And I was I was doing really well, and this is going to sound a little pretentious or something, but I started like research and really what does wildlife biologists do and what kind of money they make. And I realized that uh, <laughs> they don't uh, they don't really make much money. But I, <laughs> and so anyway, I started looking at other things. At the time, I was doing a lot of weightlifting with a, a neighbor, um, uh, powerlifting kind of stuff. And he was a chiropractor. So I told my counselor, I said, hey, maybe I'm going to get rid of this biology thing and set my sights on being a chiropractor. And she really, she, I, I got to give her credit. She just, she looked me in the eye and said, no, you're not. You're going to go to medical school. I never thought of it. I never even thought of it. And, and uh, I said, okay. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So tell me about the chiropractor though. Was it just because you were just weightlifting with him and just kind of just getting to know 
a little bit more about the field, just talking to him that made you interested? Yeah. And you know what, I guess I think now retrospectively, I don't think they thought this at the time, but I saw how he helped. He used his skill and his knowledge to help people. And mm -hmm. I think that's really what was attractive to me. I didn't know much about chiropractor and that, that kind of stuff, but just the fact that he was able to use his skill and knowledge to help people was what I think attracted me to that. Okay. What were you like growing up? Did you, first of all, do you have any other siblings? Like, where do you fall? Kind of all of that. Tell me about your- I have, uh, One older sister and uh, we were raised in a kind of typical suburban St. Louis neighborhood. Um, uh, my dad was a, a tradesman. He was a pipe fitter, welder kind of guy. My mom, um, worked, uh, as a executive assistant that time they were called secretaries, um, and worked really hard to give my sister and I good educations, um, in high school. We both went to private high schools, um, and, but really had no inkling did you know they weren't involved in the medical field at all my sister became a nurse um, uh, and subsequently a nurse practitioner and has a, had a long career as a as a specialist in um, uh, multiple sclerosis actually but anyway that's a uh, I digress did you have any nicknames growing up that you'd uh, be okay to share <laughs> I, I was really just I was Bobby and in okay. fact to this day my sister probably she's probably the only one but she'll still call me Bobby every once in a while I like that. Okay. So you're growing up in St. Louis. We do the whole medical school thing in Columbia, which I've been to Columbia, Missouri. I entered, I'm actually interviewed there for EM residency. Um, and it rem the, the town of Columbia, Missouri reminded me somewhat of Gainesville, Florida, like, because from what I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's the main thing that was there was Mizzou and in um in Columbia. And the main thing in Gainesville is really the University of Florida. It's like all encompassing of the whole city. So that's yeah. what reminded me. So I've heard about that. Was it was it like that? Is it still like a small town? Was a small town type of feel when you were in medical school in Columbia? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I actually haven't been back there in I don't know, very long time, but um it was very much a college town. Uh, it was everything in the town was centered about the the, the college, um, and but it was kind of I, I really liked it. It was it's kind you know you just a few minutes out of town. You're in a very rural part of Missouri, and it was great for a guy who liked to fish and hunt and be outdoors a lot. So yeah, exactly doing all the things you like to do. Not that I had time to do it, but whatever. Now you do. That's what's most important. Now you have time to fish and to hunt and do all that stuff. Um, so tell me, how did you become interested in emergency medicine? Where did that come into play? Uh, so I imagine this is a fairly similar story to many. Uh, I, in medical school, I do all my rotations. I really liked almost all of them, um, but I could never really imagine doing them forever. Uh, and then I did... Um, as part of the army, one of the requirements in medical school is you do some away rotations. And I did my away rotation at Madigan Army Medical Center in emergency medicine. And I don't know, probably after two or three shifts, I'm like, okay, this is it. Because um, it's just, well, you know, everybody on the call knows it's just, it's the best specialty. Simple as that. <laughs> Period. Of course it is. Exactly. 
I had that same experience or similar experience. I had no idea anything about emergency medicine, but this was before I personally um, got into medical school. I did a rotation in um, another country in Ecuador, and it was mainly supposed to be for maternal and child health because I was pretty sure I wanted to be an OBGYN. And they put me in accident and casualty and I was pissed because I'm like, what does accident and casualty have anything to do with birthing babies and their mothers? I was really mad about that. But when I got there, of course, it was the emergency department and I was like two shifts in. I'm like, okay, this this is where I need to be. So I think I had like that same like two or three shifts in. It's like, oh, yep, this is what I'm doing. Like finally discovered my whole life for the first time ever. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think our our it's weird that we have to decide our specialty based on such limited information. But I think most of the time it works out okay. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say, but well, I think so too because you know we don't have a lot of people that. Well, I don't know. Let me let me not say I don't know the numbers of how many people like switch from specialties to specialty. Um, versus if they like decide to get dual board certification right away, like maybe MedPeds or EMPeds or something like that. Um, but I don't. I, I would imagine there's not a lot of people that that shift. And if they do, I'm sure they're so much more happy that they did make the shift. I wish it was a lot easier yeah, um, that, sometimes to make that decision if you should change later in life, though. That that's that is the problem, um, and I assume it works out okay. But it could be that lots of people wish they could switch, but it's such an investment to switch, right? right? Even if you do it right after residency, you're giving up that potential income, you're doing another three years of hard work uh, or, or or more. Right. Um, so. Right. But I think that's what's cool about EM is that we literally touch every specialty. And so we get the best parts of everybody's job. So it's kind of hard to want to switch out of emergency medicines because we kind of do a little bit of everything. And that's probably what keeps most of us interested in, in the game. Wasn't it Joe Lex who says it's, uh, emergency medicine is the best 15 minutes of every other specialty? Absolutely. I think it was I think it was Joe that said that. So. Yes, yes. But that's like been the best quote. And I, and I tell people that all the time when I try to explain them my job, like I am the best of every specialty. My mom wanted me to be an orthopedic surgeon so bad because she loved her ortho doctor and she looked up his salary and said, you could be making X and da da da. I said, well, mom, let me tell you a real fun fact. I'm not too far away from that. And I have better hours and a lifestyle and all those other things too. Like, don't feel sorry for me because I'm not an ortho surgeon. You do more reductions, uh, joint reductions than they do. So. Right, yeah. right. Which is all the fun stuff anyhow. So I don't want to stand in the OR and be hammering away for five hours on someone's hip or trying to do whatever. Let me just pop it in and I'll let you handle that later. There you go. <laughs> so tell me about your passion for AEM. How did you even get involved in the organization? So in, um, I, I can't remember it was 90... I started residency in 96. I can't remember if it was 96 or it was probably 1997. Bob McNamara came to my residency program as he has gone to countless others. Um, and, you know, you're, I, I was certainly clueless about the kind of business or the landscape of emergency medicine at the time. I imagine most residents in the early stages are. 
but I was just blown away. It was not too long, you know, that was a long time ago. And it was not too long after the, the rape of emergency medicine came out. Um, and he just kind of walked us through that, that history and the, uh, frankly, the corruption of our specialty that was going on and frankly still goes on to this day to some extent. Um, and, I, you know, I, and again, I, I didn't know any of that, um, but I was really glad that AAM did. And uh, they were, you know, uh, there for me, trying to protect me and our specialty. And so I joined them. I, I was, uh, I've been a member ever since. Uh, I was not really very active other than maybe I attended a few conferences and stuff here and there, but I was really not very active until um, probably the early, no, the, uh, what was the mid 2000, like 2005, 2006 or something. Uh, our group, uh, I was really not a leader in our group at that time, but our group was doing, struggling with some uh, encroachments by some contract management groups. And I just cold, cold called Bob McNamara and he answered. And we had about an hour discussion of potential strategies for a group. And I said, man, this is the organization I need to start getting involved in. So I started going to the meetings and, uh, and just getting to know people and not, I don't remember what I'm getting confused in years, but, um, at some point, uh, I became the leader of our group and the AM, there was talk discussions about the AM physician group starting. And I thought that's perfect for my group. We're struggling to remain independent in San Antonio. Uh, and uh, so then I started getting to know the people that were involved in that project. And Mark Ryder was, was a big one. And, uh, you know, we, we became friends quickly and he, he just encouraged my continued involvement in this organization and you know mark he's pretty dynamic and you know he kind of one of those guys he says jump and you say how high and so he encouraged me he's like run for the board i'm like okay you know i just did what he said okay exactly. <laughs> um so tell me about gsep though because coming from memphis there are no independent um democratic groups um we are very much um, now it's either team health or sound physicians. Those are the two big um, CMGs that are in the market. So tell me about some of the amazing things that you've been able to do. Um, you guys have been able to do at GSEP, your, your independent group. Um, Cause I know you have a, to me, I think, I don't want to share it for you, but I want to say, I, I know you have something really, I think it's fun when it comes to Envision and how you guys have kind of bossed them around. So yeah. Tell all about that. Okay. Well, uh, I don't want to take too much time, but our group really, the origins of our group um, go back to the early 1980s. Our group really started in 1980 when, uh, you know, the, I think our hospital at that time um, was, if you were on staff, you took call in the emergency department. It was that model, right? You 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 did your shift. And uh one of the docs uh, said, you know, they're making these things called emergency room doctors nowadays. Let's let's get one. And uh, so they they did. They recruited a guy named Earl Smith, who uh, got the contract for the hospital to provide emergency medicine coverage in the hospital. He was board residency trained, board certified doc, um, but couldn't find anybody else. Right. This is the early 80s. So nobody else. Right. It, But he worked towards that. And by 1986, he had recruited five other residency trained docs 
to form our, our company, which has remained, we only hire residency trained emergency physicians. Uh, and, and we really had the contract with this hospital since that time. Now the system has changed dramatically, right? It was a single hospital back then uh, in the late nineties, I think some other, well, ACA came in and they merged a bunch of different hospitals into one system and we absorbed those docs, the ones that were uh, emergency medicine physicians and, and we grew and really our growth has been largely organic. Um, you know, with, as the system grew, we grew with them and we've really always been with that, with that system. Um, with a few exceptions. Um, and so that's been our history. Right? We, we were the ER group for Methodist Healthcare in, in San Antonio for, for years and years. There was um, a period of time, again, I think I got the advice of Dr. McNamara and, and uh, uh, where we had a few of the hospitals were taken away from us. Um, so low performing hospitals, they wanted to bring in a, I think ultimately they brought in a, a a CMG that, um, you know, could absorb that cost better than a, a small group like we were. Uh, the hospital did that instead of paying us a subsidy, which is what we wanted. But anyway, uh, uh, don't remember where I was. So I was walking through the history. Okay. And so we're, that was our group. And then in um, 2017, 2016, just before Christmas, we were told they're going to put our contract up for uh, a request for a proposal, put our contract up for bid. And and the actually the RFP went out on December 21st um, of 2017, I think. Merry Christmas, your group of 40 years is now gonna potentially go away. And oh, we wow. and the deal was, and this is a common story throughout, is that you know they were the hospital was paying a significant subsidy for hospitalist coverage. And the game team health plays and envision plays and others do is they'll say, well, you don't have to pay a hospital, a subsidy to your hospital medicine group if you give us your ER contract. And that was very attractive to the healthcare system. Why, you know, it looks good on paper. They fully expected that we would just change our logos, right? They just, well, just instead of GSEP, we're going to be whoever. Um, uh, but we, loved our independence. We deeply valued our independence and knew that uh, that wasn't a good thing. We had joined AMPG by then, so we had the power of AAM behind us uh, to help forge what ultimately happened. Um, can, can I pause you right there? Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about what AAMPG did for your group when you guys were in that scenario? I'd love to know a little bit more about what they offer and how they help. Yeah, okay. So in general, what they offered was administrative services that are, um, you know, it's one of a group's big expenses, right? And so if they can offer those services on economies of scale, then they offered it to let for less money. So there were things once you join AMPG, you, uh, well, of course you had the consulting power of Dr. Ryder and Dr. Uh, McNamara and all of AAM behind us, but then you had, um, they subcontracted with another group that provide practice management services. And so they did our, our accounting and our payroll and those kind of business kind of things groups have to have. And again, it's a big investment for a group. And so if they, if you can save a, you know, a percentage or two off of, of that cost, it's a good deal. And, uh, okay. and we like the philosophy behind them. So at, when this all happened, mm -hmm. you know, we actually prepared a bid 
to do it on our own. We found a, a group uh, that could do the hospital medicine. We teamed up with a local group in town. We offered a, a bid. Ultimately, um, and Dr. McNamara has helped us do that. He helped us prepare some of that. Our, our, our folks, our experts at AMPG really, really helped us prepare that bid. And uh, there's quite a lot that goes into to responding to an RFP, and they helped us do that. Um, and Dr. McNamara came down several times. He, he uh, met with our hospital CEO, lots of different things. Uh, and uh, But ultimately, they chose Envision. Um, to do the me emergency medicine and hospital medicine services for the whole system. And um, again, I think, and and then they just said, we want the GSEP doctors to sit, the hospital system said, we want the GSEP doctors to stay. You guys figure out how to make that happen. And, you know, they thought, oh, well, they'll buy us out or something like that. But importantly, in our group, we were probably 40 doctors at the time, 40 shareholders. We were all equal owners. Right, we are all equal owners. So whatever money they offered us, divide it by forty. It's not really life changing money. Um, I, I like to think I'm a good person, but if I was one of three people and I got off offered money that I was going to divide three ways instead of forty ways, yeah, that's life changing money. And I, I again, I'd like to say I wouldn't have done it, but I don't know. Uh, thankfully, I wasn't in that position, and that's the point of my, my bringing that up is that. I believe that's the best way to structure your group because you're you're protected from that kind of that 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 kind of things that can happen. So um, anyway, ultimately we we said no, we're not going to do this, and so we're staffing you know 75 percent of the system at this time, two hundred thousand visits a year, forty doctors. They can't really run the system without us, and so we had some leverage. The hospital doctors, doctors in the hospital very much wanted us to stay. They liked us. They were calling the CEO's office every day saying, don't let GSEP, you know, go away, um, and so ultimately we forced Envision into this subcontracting relationship, which exists today, actually. We're still doing that, uh, and so they have the contract, but we subcontract with them to provide emergency services at the hospitals that uh, we were at at the time, and then have added sub several since. In return, we turn over our rights to bill, and so no, so then that disqualified us from AMPG because we no longer control what we bill, okay. and so we had to drop out of AMPG. Envision bills, collects, and turns the money over to us turns a portion of the money over to us, let me say, and then it's pretty much hands-off. So we're, we still think of ourselves as totally independent because nobody influences our practice. They just influence what we bill and what we collect. And then we, we have a contract that clarifies what they pay us um, per RVU is how we do it. But, um, and so, you know, I don't, it's obviously not ideal, but it's, it's worked out. It's let us, um, again, remain um, independent. Mm -hmm. If you ask anybody in our group who they work for, they don't say they work for Envision. We don't wear Envision on our lab coats. We don't get a paycheck from Envision. They don't know that they're involved with Envision at all, essentially. Okay. And you are the president of your group, correct? Yes, correct. So you're the one that's leading the charge kind of through all of these ups and downs and back and forths and meetings and calls and and handshaking and all of that so 
It sounds daunting to me um, just because I'm going to say you guys are like David in a way and then Envision and everybody else is almost like Goliath. But how did you, because I'm sure this was a long process. How did you navigate that? I guess I'm sure there's times where you were upset and like you said, you thought that you guys were going to be able to stand and then they're like, well, Envision one. And so now kind of working with that, how did you feel like at that time, especially with your passion about AEM and staying independent and keeping your group of docs independent? What did you feel like in that moment? Oh, uh, thanks for reminding me. Uh, lots of, I took lots of private sec. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was, t- there were weeks there that were just horrible. I mean, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, we're, our group's going away. We've existed for 40 years. Now I'm in control and I run it into the ground. I mean, this was, it was horrible. Uh, until we struck on this idea of subcontracting, I thought we were done for. I mean, for and it was probably only a period of two or three weeks, but I, I thought we were gone. Um, and uh, how did I do it? I don't know. You just get up every day and do what you need to do um, to get through the day and get through the next day. Um, I, I'm the the biggest thing that really kept us going was our group was amazing. And, you know, I asked them, I said, the best thing you can do, the best thing every doctor in this group can do is keep taking great care of the patients. Yeah. Just like you have done for years and years and years, because that's what makes us stand out. That's what, that's why we're valuable to the, to the system is because we, take great care of patients. We treat the nurses and all the other staff there with respect and they liked us, right? They liked us. And so that's really why we existed because of what my colleagues do every day in the, in the emergency department. What did that teach you about leadership? Because that must be impactful to know that you have just such a, a strong group of docs, but what did that teach you as how to be a leader? going through all that well you know uh uh you know the whole i think this guy's named simon cynic the whole about the why, what's your why getting it to to your why um and it, I, you know that's he's uh, that's it um we exist to take care great care of patients and our other customers that come along with being an er group right the nurses the the techs, the radiology folks, our medical staff colleagues. And if you, if that's why we exist, and if you focus on that, why all the other stuff's probably going to work out if you do it really well. Um, And so that's, I guess that's, maybe that's the lesson I've learned is figure out the kernel, the thing that's most important, do that exceedingly well. And the rest of the stuff tends to, to follow. I like that. So what's your why? Um, my personal why, uh, I believe that I have been blessed with skills and abilities. Um, and I am, uh, I've, I kind of feel it's an obligation. I'm obliged to use those to help people. Um, and I do that at the bedside. I do that within my group. Hopefully I do that within AEM. So speaking of AEM again, so like I said, you are the president elect. I couldn't find my words earlier. <laughs> it's yeah. the president elect. I'm trying to say president in waiting and trying to make it sound way more fancy. Um, but 
I, I can understand why I think you would probably run um, for president, but why did you choose to do it? I want to hear from your mouth. Why did you try, choose to run for the for the presidency? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> that I continue to ask myself. What did I get myself into? <laughs> I, I think. I, I mean, I really. I my time on the board has been incredible, and I just uh, I love my colleagues on the board, and. Um, I look around the room and I think, can I do anything to make this even better? And I think my internal answer was, yes, I think I can. And that's why I run. That's why I ran, frankly. Um, so since you've been thinking about why you ran and, and now you have some time before you're actually in the role, but have you thought about what you want your impact to be, what you um want to see happen in the academy under your presidency and um, if it's too soon for that i understand it, it may be a little bit too soon i don't have any any specific goals mapped out but i will tell you in general uh, have you ever done one of those myers-briggs or disc profiles or any kind of yes all the above yes i have well mine is i don't remember all the categories but whatever mine is very much skewed towards relationships uh, and that's kind of what drives me and what's important. And uh, it's been actually enlightening knowing that others are not driven by that. I'm like, why, why aren't you? But anyway, um, I, you know what? Because we took the we took that um, profile for the board. I forgot what it was called. You and you and I were like the exact yes. same color. I think we were like both blue and yellow or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm the same yes, relation. I'm very that. relationship driven. Uh, and so if I can if I can bring anything to the academy and the relationships among the board, you know, my, my, I, I'm kind of one of those, can we just all get along and, and, and do the right thing? Uh, and that's what I want to do. I, I want everyone uh, to work together towards this common goal, which is the betterment of our profession and use the academy as a tool to make our profession and our specialty better. I love that. Specifically how I'm going to do that. I don't know yet, but we'll <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> um, okay. Well, is there anything that you want to share that we haven't already talked about? I feel like I've been talking a lot. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we have been talking a lot, but it's fine. Like that's the whole point of the conversation just to talk. Um, but anything maybe that you're passionate about um, anything, you know what? I asked somebody else's question. I think I'm going to ask you, here's a good one. Um, if you had any advice or, uh, words of wisdom for an emergency physician watching, listening, what do you, what would you say? Mm. Um, so clinically I would say uh, do a great job taking care of patients, but don't forget that patient is a human being. And, and I'll say this, uh, in that to me, well, you know, I think our, our passion, I, I still am passionate. I still love taking care of patients. Uh, I've been doing it for 25 years, but I still love it. I love my job. I will tell you the reason I love my job has changed over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to 
and I still do, I guess, to some extent, um, but uh, the cool adrenaline, intubating somebody, putting in a line, saving their life, that was that was where I got a lot of satisfaction for my job early on in my career. I will tell you that that has shifted and where I really get my satisfaction now is developing relationships. I love the challenge of developing a relationship with a patient when I only talk to them for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and if I can connect with them uh, during that period of time, that's what drives me. I, at this stage of my career, I, I don't really care if I ever intubate another patient. Um, I, it's pretty easy for me to say because I think it's very unre unrealistic and I know I will, but uh, it's really about, but if I don't ever connect with a patient again, that would be very disappointing. So anyway, how's that relate to the advice? Just don't forget that um, your patients are, are people that feel things differently than you might. They, their experiences are different than your experiences. They don't have the knowledge that, that, that you have and uh, try to, if you acknowledge that and you realize that, then you will do the right thing. I really like that. Um, it, it made me think of something for myself. And I think probably more, more of us are experiencing it now, of course, than ever before. But I am a new attending, as you know, I'm less than five years out. Next year, I will be five years out of residency and coming out so early and then jumping right into a global pandemic was really hard for me. And I now that I'm doing some reflecting because we are in a better place as far as where we are with COVID is that I felt well, I got burnt out very early. And I think that was because of exactly what you said. We are relationship builders. We are we thrive on the connections with people. And I felt like during COVID, it was so hard to connect one because I can't see your face and you can't see mine. And then if I come in the room, I've got on a face shield and an N95 and then I'm plastic up and I, I'm so covered. There's so many more layers that I felt like COVID and the pandemic put in between us and our patients. And that was really hard. Um, and I think it started to get easy to forget that people were human beings just like us because we couldn't see their humanity as well as we used to. I remember sometimes I would, even still now, like I'll get close to a patient to like listen to their heart and I'll tell them, I'm like, wow, your eyes are really cool color or where'd you get that scar from? Or, you know what I mean? Like, so it just, I miss that. And so I'm glad that you said that don't ever forget that the patients are humans because I think a lot of us lost that because I, I think there's a lot of relators and connectors and that's where other people get their passion for medicine, especially emergency medicine too. So I love that reminder. I love that, that word of advice. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Something changed during COVID. And I think a lot of it was that just the barriers, um, but it, 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 I think it's, there's some more than that. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but th things are different. It's harder now to build those relationships, I find. And I don't know if it's me and I'm, because I'm burned out or what, but it's harder to build those relationships now than I think it was five years ago. I agree. I think that probably because of, a, like you said, it's multifactorial, not only the actual physical barriers, but I think that there's been a lot of mis and disinformation put out um, in the general public about, um, you know, health 
care, the healthcare system, I think a lot of the disparities um, in the healthcare system as far as racial, socioeconomic, um, you know, LGBTQ, all of that came out so much in the pandemic, which is, I think, interesting in a way um, that when we were all at home, well, most of us were at home, then that's kind of when we were able to see kind of the world in a different way. But I think that's all, it's all multifactorial. I agree. I think that's part of the reason why COVID changed a lot and healthcare has changed. It's just, it's just different now. Well, Bob, thank you so much for this conversation. And before we let you go, um, how do people get a hold of you? If like, someone's hearing about what's going on at GSEP from what you shared and they want to join your group or just connect with you further. Can you give me some um, different ways that people can reach out to you? Sure. You, you want me to give you my email address? Or my, what, what whatever you, mean? you feel comfortable with. If, you, it's, if you're more yeah. active on email, would you like prefer social media? Is there a website? I'm not much into, I do a little Twitter, but it's, I usually don't look at it too. So I'm not much social media guy, but uh my email address is hard, but it's R Robert, and then my last name for Alex Nine at gsep-pa.com. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications.